Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future, as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello everyone, this is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today, or returning guest, is David Slyker. Uh, David, for people that are slacking, maybe they forgot what you said last time, although I'm sure they haven't, it's imprinted on their minds. But uh, can you just remind people, uh, where are you from, what you do, all that good stuff? Yeah, thanks for having me. I love that I get to be here again with you guys. It's always a joy. Uh, I am David Slyker. I'm part of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. I've been here the last 20 years where we've been doing night and day prayer with worship around the clock. Um, full worship teams, intercession, contending for the breakthrough of God, revival, the power of the Holy Spirit, and the, and the future of the church and beyond. And so I, what I do here specifically, I'm, uh, as of now, the president of the International House of Prayer University. And so I give leadership to our, our ministry school, our, our worship school, our media school, and of course, all of our training internships and and uh, much beyond that. And so I'm part of the leadership team here and have been for quite some time. And, and of course, I've, I've written a number of books on the return of Jesus and the subjects that surround that. So mm. it's an honor to be here with you guys. Yeah, and I know that for us as a charity, we've appreciated you, your resources, even though you haven't known it, but you do now. Um, <laughs> but for people listening, uh, we recommend that you get David's resources and Definitely. his books and listen to his teachings. And so for them to do that, where can they do that? The easiest place to go uh, is davidslyker.com. That, uh, that's kind of the one stop for the, for the books, the sermons, podcasts I've done. But also a, a great resource is um, ihopkc.org that has a ton of our sermons and, and teachings. And then, of course, my favorite, uh, mikebickle.org, would be a phenomenal place for okay. people to go. Yeah, and I'll put those links in the description. So anyone listening, go to those links and uh, buy a book. <laughs> Definitely. So, David, we have many people listening and just wanting to dive into all the um, details as much as we can discover in this time of what's about to happen, what is unfolding, what's going to happen. But we felt strongly what we need to do first is have an overview of, of what lies ahead so we can then put the pieces within that and we know nobody better than you to do it because your book end time simplified has been an absolute foundation in our ministry with interns and people we have and we've been personally blessed by it so full of scripture and so we just wanted to ask you please could you help us in an overview of this adventure that is waiting ahead of us well, that we're already stepping into. Or you could say, could you simplify the end times for us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. And I think um, for me, the, uh, the place where I like to start, because the, the subject is intimidating for people, the return of Jesus. Now, of course, people that are connected to this podcast and, and your guys' network, I would guess that it would be a little bit different for them. Um, but I always tend to, when I'm introducing the subject, even before the overview, I want to remove the intimidation and 
and from the book, that's kind of one of the first things that I do before I get to the storyline of the return of Jesus and the why behind the what. Um, I find, and I'm thinking about the teachers, the shepherds, the mothers and fathers that are watching this. The first thing I want to do is remove intimidation because there's been a, a, a little bit of intimidation on three levels because there's been confusion in the body of Christ historically, because there's been frustration in the body of Christ historically, or because there's just general biblical illiteracy, a shallowness to it. Um, there's just been a hesitation of many to engage in this subject and, and a little bit of a passivity because when we're intimidated, we go passive. Somebody else will think of this. Somebody else will. Somebody else will. The Lord goes, no, I, I gave 150 chapters of information to my people about that unique generation before my return because I, I want you with me and, and engaged and connected and alive. The hour of the Lord's return and this is not a plug for my newest book, but I was reading a review, and uh, it's the book's called The Nation's Rage, Prayer, Promise, and Power in the Anti-Christian Age. And the reviewer says, you know, clearly the author is a post-millennial. I, I kind of laughed. They you know, want to peg me. They want to peg me with a new point. And the, the, again, the, that word might not mean much to a percentage of the, the, the audience here, but... Um, but it's because when I look to the future, even though there is intensity and even though there is persecution, and shaking and trouble, which is one viewpoint in the Bible, and people would give titles to that. If you hold to the fact that there's trouble in the future and shaking and persecution, there's a title for that out there. And so I hold to that. But I also look to the future and I'm excited. I'm not intimidated. I'm not scared. I look at what the Lord's going to do, not just with faith, but there's a genuine ache in my heart for the things the Lord's going to do before his return in the church and through the church to the world, the great harvest of souls, the things the Lord wants to do in revival, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There is so much ahead that's glorious. Mm. And so people are intimidated by this subject because they mostly, when they think of the future biblically, if they're aware of it at all, they're mostly aware that there's negative in the future. I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that there's only positive. And, um, and it's just the way we process the future. Again, the irony being, when we look at the book of Acts, we don't process primarily the negative. We don't look at, read the book of Acts and go, look at that. They're beheaded, imprisoned, and martyred. And wow, the book of Acts was horrible. Yeah. We look at the book of Acts and how many preachers go, we want the book of Acts in our day. I'm thinking, are you sure? <laughs> uh, but you seem awful hesitant about the book of Revelation. Yeah. You don't want the book of Revelation and you do want the book of Acts. And it's because we don't understand either book that, uh, that when the Lord comes, it's messy and there's trouble and there's storms of rage but there's also glory, and, and the book of Acts is the story of God's invasion through his church into regions. The book of Revelation is the story of God's invasion through his church into the globe, and yeah. all that comes with that. And so, so before we go into an overview, just removing intimidation, the future is intense, but we've got Jesus. The future is shaking and trouble and storms of rage. We've got the Holy Spirit, and we've got one another, and it's going to be better than we think, even as it's more intense than we think. So we don't have to be intimidated by the trouble. 
but then neither do we have to be intimidated by the amount of information that's in there. The, the other thing about the early chapters of End Time Simplified is I want to remove the intimidation of, I need a Bible teacher to explain it. I need the smart guy to help me. I need the scholar to break it down. I love Daphne's heart. The, the, the desire to make this accessible to the most eager child or the most hungry pastor, it's for all of us. The, the Holy Spirit is our teacher in these days. And our greatest weapon against the darkness that's coming is what Paul called in Ephesians 1, the spirit of revelation. The spirit of revelation is a weapon because in the midst of darkness and uncertainty and storm and a lack of clarity and understanding, the light comes on from heaven called the spirit of revelation. And suddenly the word makes sense. And suddenly the future makes sense. And suddenly our lives make sense. There's those moments of clarity that come from heaven and so between right perspective about the future and the Lord's light, the Lord's revelatory help to get that right perspective, we can really grasp this storyline. Um, this is really what we're doing today is about giving people confidence that they can go far deeper on their own with the Holy Spirit as a teacher that really wants to escort us as deep as we want to go. And then, of course, the third component to that is we don't want we don't need to be afraid of the future we want urgency and urgency is that perspective that revelatory perspective of the glorious and the terrible ahead of us that we're going to get through together with jesus but it produces urgency and the urgency isn't about i'm scared and oh no it's not preparation because we're trying to preserve our comfort it's not preparation because we want to preserve our lives. It's preparation because we the urgency makes us focused. It makes us alert. It makes us connected. Our prayer times aren't just kind of me, me, me times of prayer. But now there's a sense of, I don't have time to mess around. I don't have time to be petty. I don't have time to be offended. I don't have time to have issues between friends. I don't have time for that. The, the, ur the urgency of the hour provides a, a grace for a, a sense of immediacy. To have, I'm going to use a big big term, I call it the eschatological perspective. The, 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 the goal of End Time Simplified wasn't to make people eschatologically or the studyology of the end times, the last things. It's not to make the, you know, the people eschatologically proficient or eschatologically, you know, savants, you know, experts. The, the, the idea is we want to, in our as we begin our journey here, we want to become, we want to have an eschatological perspective. And that perspective means we have a sense of context. We have a sense of place. I know where I am in the unfolding of history. I'm not surprised. You know, we had a, a pre-show you know, pre conversation about the things that are unfolding. And it was a pleasant conversation, even though the things we're talking about are pretty intense. They're pretty, like, there's violations of human rights, and violations of privacy, and oppression, and persecution. We're talking about serious matters, but we're not afraid. We're sober, but we're not afraid. Because we're not surprised by what's unfolding. The Lord tells us in advance so that as it unfolds, we have an eschatological perspective. We have a sense of context where we are in history, how we've come to this point. 
and where we're going. And just, just having that actually does the opposite of making us afraid. The urgency settles us. It, it gets us focused and it helps us to lock in to the things that matter in seasons like this. We give ourselves in times of peace and ease, we throw ourselves. You know, the book of Amos spends a lot of time talking to them about how their obsession with things that don't matter, their obsession with ease and leisure. He, Amos, the prophet, goes, you sing songs that are meaningless. We, we can, we can uh, indulge in meaningless entertainment because we don't have a sense of place, a sense of purpose, a sense of urgency, a sense of context. It's just this desire for ease. And, and um, we don't like versions of an intense future because we don't want our ease to be taken away. But we're in an hour where that ease is gone. And it's, yeah. it's either the peace of God from perspective or the constant unease and, and simmering underlying anger of the people that want ease and comfort, but they'll never have it again. And so the church is on a very different trajectory. And so understanding the storyline is we remove intimidation. We remove fear so that we can have perspective, so that we can get clearer about what we're seeing unfold around us without fear. And we can see where it's going. We, we understand how we got here. We understand where it's going. So I want to start there. And again, that's very basic for some that are, that are because so many that are on this podcast are far more advanced than what I just said, but it's always good to have a reminder why we do these things. We don't just want to be puffed up with information. We don't just want to be the cool people in the know, but it's actually not that cool. It's, there's still, it it feels fringy to others in the body of Christ, but you can, you can get that kind of, I feel like I'm on an inside club with the inside information. It's like, no, that is not what we're about. We are about making our prayer times, our evangelism, our pastoring, our family times. We're about making it count. And we're about removing the penny and the, the, the little foxes, the little annoyances, and little things that can trip us up. We're about getting that out of the way and being clear, being settled, being sober, and really being set on where this is going, but with real joy and hope. So... Yeah. Just laying that out, giving us a framework to operate from before we get into the storyline itself. Because the storyline is traumatic. Yeah, yeah, I think that the, the example that most fits my heart, maybe being a woman, is the whole birth pains. Because you don't, you don't meet a woman who is so bogged down with the birth pains, they're not looking forward to the baby coming. It just doesn't happen. And they're more consumed with the baby coming than they are the birth pains. That's right. And but they have to focus on the birth pains. They've got to be present. They've got to be trained. They've got to understand it. That their whole world changes. I mean, like you don't go shopping when you start going the birth pains. You're focused, and and it's not pleasant all the time. But the baby is coming, and I think for me that is just the most beautiful example of the whole thing. And I think sometimes we get so caught up with the birth pains 
we forget the baby's coming or we right. just we get so caught up with the fact that the baby is coming that we just forget we have to focus on the birth pains so it's kind of carrying those two together i think and of course you know for anybody who's listening <laughs> wonders what i'm talking about we're talking about the birth pains of the earth and the return of the king of kings the lion of the tribe of judah our savior jesus who is coming to make all things right so for me carrying those two things in perspective, as we do in birth, holds me steady. We'll take your word for it on the birth side of stuff. But, well, thank you. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I did the birthing classes and their logic held up. They said, hey, here's why we want to take you through these birthing classes. Because, you know, me, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? Uh, are, are we just going to have this baby? They go, no, we're doing this <laughs> so that the two of you that are in this together, though, of course, your, your wife is going to have by far an infinitely more difficult you know journey here but the two of you together knowing what's coming this is what they said this is before i even cared about the subject many times they said knowing what's coming means you're not surprised when it happens and it actually helps your heart we found they said they said this they go we found that in childbirth when moms and husbands are surprised by certain elements or pain or possibilities, things that can go wrong. It's actually the panic and the fear that takes them into a very dangerous place that makes it harder for us to do our job. We've found that if patients are trained to understand what's going to happen and what might happen, though at first the information's intense and it's a little scary, it actually helps settle them when the, you know, the, the different phases of birth are happening and it makes it easier for us to do our job. And so the, so the Lord, he said it many times. He said, see, I've told you beforehand. I've told you so that we could be measured, sober, alert, awake, and engaged. He want, Jesus wants ultimately the joy of partnership with his people. He wants his people with John 17, 26, uh, those that you gave me, I want them to be with me to see me in my glory. To see Jesus in his glory is to see Jesus engaging in what Daphne just talked about. His return, the establishing of his kingdom and fullness, the establishing of Israel and her glory, the establishing of his rule and his reign. It's Jesus as the necessary judge, the necessary arbiter between two warring factions that are irreconcilable deciding in favor of one ultimately as the only one that can be trusted to do so. And then from those judgments, establishing that which has been decided for the human race in glory. And so to, to know in advance that, that these are the things in you know, Revelation 4 that must take place. They must take place because we are who we are and he is who he is and he is coming. And so, um, so yeah, that's that's really well said. I love the birth pangs, not just analogy. Jesus was the one that originally used it. And he was the one that, that originally wanted to connect us to the glory of the baby being born. The baby being born is Romans 11. The baby being born is Daniel 7. The baby being born is the, the millennial reign of Jesus on the earth from Jerusalem, establishing righteousness and filling the earth, Isaiah 40, with his glory. Mm. Filling the earth with his beauty, making all things beautiful. And so, 
the the birth the birthing process is the is the really messy, really intense transition of a fallen world into a glorified world. It's the world that we long for as believers, but we haven't considered the cost of what it takes to birth that kind of world. It's not easy and it's not clean, but it is it, it is glorious, but it's messy. Yeah. And just like birthing a baby, it's glorious, it's beautiful, but it's messy and it's painful. It's all those things. And so the, to the degree in which the earth is about to transition, and that's where we're at right now. Right now, the Bible, 150 chapters to advertise the most intense transition in human history. The transition from a fallen world in rebellion against God to a saved and transformed world uh, given in worship to God. That transition, there is no more dramatic transition. But that's where we find ourselves right now. That's why these passages matter, because we want to connect as his friends, engaging with him in this transition, not resisting him, as we're prone to do because we don't like change. Mm. So come on then, let's have the overview because we are sitting on the edge of our seats waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> let's have it. Well, the, uh, the, the way that I always like to start, to, to make it as simple as possible, Jesus in Matthew 24 says a very important phrase to kind of summarize what, we, what we're saying and where this is going. He said, uh, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be again in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And so the, the, that's the real key, to understand our story. Really, you want to understand the first 12 chapters of Genesis. They really do establish the framework of what this is all about. Well, I, I teach a course here at, in our university um, called God's Plan of Redemption. To understand where this is going, you got to understand where we've been or what we've lost. And so Jesus says it so succinctly. He says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It'll be this way again. What, what were the days of Noah? The days of Noah, so we want to understand Genesis 3, in one sense, is kind of that centerpiece of everything. It's the, it's the horrific moment. And what Jesus is returning to undo is that which humans did in Genesis 3. The, the last Adam of Romans 5, the, the second Adam, the last Adam, he is coming to, to undo what Adam did and to fulfill what was given to Adam. He, as the, as the son of Adam, he's the son of God, but he's also the son of Adam. He has taken on Adam's mandate, and he's going to do what was given to Adam and undo what Adam did. Those are the two really key points that we forget. Hmm. Because in Genesis 3, the, the horrific dynamic of Genesis 3 is that the human race, we don't think of it this way, but you want to think of, think of the world as a ship and think of God. God was the captain of the ship. And Adam, God makes and establishes his first mate, if you think of it that way. It's his first mate. It's his, it's his right-hand man which is already so mind-blowingly humble of God. He made, he made man in his own image. He made a first mate to, to, to leave the ship with him. And so the animals, the created order, the dominion that was given to Adam, that's a statement from God about who you are to be Adam. You're my first mate. You're my, you're my main man. And what Adam does in Genesis 3 is effectively 
an insurrection, a mutiny. He looks to overthrow the captain and become the captain. That's the most mind-blowing moment in human history. One of the greatest tragedies, the kindness of the captain who creates the ship, sets us in it, makes us the first mate and goes, let's, let's sail together. Man's response to that is a mutiny. It's an insurrection. It's a, you know, a violent overthrow. Because what Adam says to God, in essence, is we want the earth that you made and gave. We want this, this land that you created, but we don't want you. We don't want to be on this land with you. We want to possess this land, possess this land without you. That's a really key point. Because just fun side note, you know, when you read you know, Leviticus, when you read Deuteronomy, when you read the law, the Israelites weren't necessarily landowners. The Mosaic Covenant was a lease. <laughs> it, was, it, was more, it wasn't really land ownership. It was land stewardship. And so Israel becomes a nation that re is returned to this idea of the stewardship of the land that God owns or God possesses. And, and that's how, by side note, that's how Jubilee works. Jubilee works by everybody going back to where they started in their ancestral beginnings that only works if you're leasing and the rightful owner can redistribute. And, uh, but we get away from that idea in Genesis 3. Why? Because we want to own the land and remove God's interference. We don't want God. We want God gone. We want him out. We don't want his accountability, his boundaries, his authority, his rule. We don't want any of that. We want to rule and govern ourselves and possess the land that he gave. Mm. That's a giant point. So when you understand when Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the man, that's your starting point of understanding that, that that was the declaration of mankind. This belongs to us. We want you out. And of course, the, the humility, the outrageous humility and tenderness of God to acquiesce, to say, I'll yield the land. I'll depart in a conflict between you and I. I'll depart. I'll be back, but I'll depart because I want to buy time to win your heart back, which is like, who are you? <laughs> you could have just crushed Adam and Eve, created two more human beings that were more loyal. But, but instead, he goes, no, I'm going to leave. I'll depart. I'll let you possess this land. Of course, you, gotta, you have a Satan problem that you have to deal with. But because uh, you're, you're choosing to entertain him and reject me. That's another point. But uh, he goes, I'll depart. I'll return. I'm going to try to win your heart before I return fully. Unbelievable. So then Genesis 4, Genesis 5, you see in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel begin to offer sacrifices, offerings to the Lord. Then by Genesis 5, what they're attached to is this little phrase. So men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. So why burnt offerings? Why are they calling upon the name of the Lord? Because it's a sign of repentance. What they're saying, in essence, short version, they're saying, no, we miss you. It's not right that you're not here. The earth isn't right without your presence. We don't want you gone. We repent. We want you here. And we want you here on your terms. That's why the offering is a sweet aroma, because Abel was offering God's sacrifice on God's terms related to the, related to the sin that hinders the shedding of the blood it is dealing with the sin that hinders and the cleansing of the place to invite presence. That's what they were doing. They were cleansing place 
of the, the marks of the stain of their rebellion. They cleanse it through blood that presence might come in holiness. That's, it's, it's not just repentance of I'm sorry and I miss you, but it's followed by the active repentance of I'm doing something to attract your presence because I want you here. And I don't just want you here sentimentally. I'm preparing the ground for you to actually be here. That's what human beings are doing. The, the reason that matters is because think about the prayer and worship movement at the end of the age. That's a powerful expression of what begins. The prayer and worship movement begins there in Genesis 4 and 5. The counterfeit movement, you know, Cain and the vegetables and the him worshiping God on his own terms, and it was about himself, and what happens in Genesis 6 that I'm about to talk about, you see both the very seeds of what's unfolding today across the world, a prayer and worship movement, a people that are beginning to cry out and long, we want you here. We want to prepare the ground. We don't just want a place for you in our hearts. That's beautiful evangelical Christianity. But, but actually, it's a restoration of a very Catholic expression of Christianity, which is actually a very Hebrew expression of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Not just my heart, this place. Not just my heart, but actually this place is yours. I want to prepare the space. I want your presence. I want you here with us. That, you hear that cry all over the world in a really historic way. That's, that's a bit unique in church history, actually. In terms of the global dimension of this, we want you here to cry. And so that yeah. the seeds of that, the beginnings of that are in Genesis 4, 5. And so man began to call upon the name of the Lord. We want you here. But in Genesis 6, we find the counter movement, the, the group that's going, no, we meant what we said in Genesis 3. What our forefather Adam did, we're happy with. We don't want him here. You know, the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. That's man looking to build their counterfeit New Jerusalem and have the benefits of God's presence. The benefits, you know, like the Ark of the Covenant, the Obed-Edom's house is exploding with blessing. Hmm. Man forever wants the benefits of blessing and presence without the accountability, without without the, the law, the boundaries that come with it. Can I get the comforts and the blessings and the benefits, but can I get it without God? And without him making demands on me, and without his law, and without having to answer for him, without the judgment seat, in essence. Hmm. And so Genesis 6 is this counter movement of wicked men that go, no, we see what you're doing. You're inviting his presence, and we don't want that. And so that's the irreconcilable conflict. That's the two families of Genesis 5, the family of Adam and the family of Christ in, in Romans 5. These two families have an irreconcilable conflict. And we're beginning to see that becoming clear right now. We're seeing two sides in irreconcilable conflict. There's no compromise. There's no middle. There's no way to meet in the middle. You know, when you look at a very far left progressive, um, you know, person that has an ideology of far left progressive justice and all that comes with that. There's no reconciling. There's no way for us to yield because we'll never yield on issues of sexuality and marriage and purity. There's just things we'll never yield on. And there's many in the church that wish we would yield. But, but already we're beginning to see the conflict. As, we be, as the more we stand for truth, the more clear we are about truth, the more clear the lines become. And the only way forward is for one side to convert. There is no meeting in the middle. Somebody has to convert. But back then, 
there it's like convert or die. And so you've got the the these sons of man, these sons of man, these these wicked men that are beginning to murder and they're beginning to persecute and they're beginning to remove. The only way to keep God's presence off the earth is to remove the people that want God's presence. And so the murder is off the charts until there's only one family left, which is the family of Noah. That's the last family on earth that calls upon the name of the Lord and invites his presence. Just one. And, and God says, I'm going to preserve you and I'm going to judge them. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you 120 years here. They have time to repent. They won't, but I want to give them time. I have pain over where they've, where they've come to. I want to give them time to repent, but they won't. And Jesus is saying now, now in our day, as in, as in the days of Noah, those days where there are two sides irreconcilably opposed, one group wants God on the earth. One group wants everything on God's terms. We want God on God's terms. That's the key phrase. We don't just want God as kind of biblically illiterate, kind of charismatic believers that, that just kind of want a cool experience and a cool testimony. No, we want God on God's terms and all that that means from his perspective. We want to know Jesus. We want to know what's on his heart. We want to value what he values, and we want to love him as he defines love. And we want to love him on his terms. The other side, they love themselves. They love pleasure. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And they have a redefinition of what is moral and righteous and good, and a redefinition of what's immoral and unrighteous and wicked. They want to redefine and reshape the world in their image. Two irreconcilable sides that are headed for a collision. Now, of course, like God, like the God that we adore and like the Jesus that we love, because God did it in Genesis 3 and Jesus did it at the cross. Two times at a crossroads in the human race, with the human race, when there is a conflict, God departs and Jesus dies. Jesus gives his life when there's an irreconcilable conflict. The third round is coming, and this time it's the church. In the days of, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be again. There will be a group that will not be appeased. They are not going to rest until we convert out of Christianity to their way of shaping and building the world in their own image, or we are removed. We either compromise or we are removed. And like God in Genesis 3 and like Jesus at the cross, the church isn't going to answer that challenge with violence. The church is going to answer that with outrageous tenderness, outrageous mercy, outrageous love. We are going to be a true witness. Witnessing isn't 1850s evangelism where we share the Romans road. Witnessing is the authentic expression of the love of Jesus through the church to a world that wants to kill us because they don't want God. And so think about just one, I'm going to tie it all together with this point. As in the days of Noah means that the group that is opposed to Christian morals and, the, and biblical belief and biblical values, it's more than that in the days to come. They are aware of our God and they are aware of Jesus and his intentions. They are aware of, and, and there's a measure of believing us. That's the shocker. To understand the biblical narrative of the future is to know that there's no atheism in the future. There will not be any atheists. They will believe the church 
when we say that Jesus is returning, but they will be so delusional in arrogance. It's so committed to their self-righteous cause. The world, as they define it, immorality. Jesus to them will be the head of an immoral, abusive, wicked group that needs to be either converted or removed. But again, we're going to meet that challenge. It's the third round, the impasse of the human race and God, except it's going to be us that are walking that out versus God and Jesus. God the Father and Jesus the Son. It's going to be the church with the Holy Spirit indwelling and moving in power in our midst. We're going to meet that with tenderness, mercy. We're going to love our enemies. We're going to bless our enemies, those that curse us. We're going to pray for them, serve them. We're going to show them the authentic Jesus. And here's the big point. And then I've said a lot. I'll let you jump back in. Here's the big point. God says it over and over and over again in the prophets. I do not do this for your sake. I do this for the sake of my name. He said in Ezekiel in many places. I do this for the sake of my name. In other words, from Genesis 3 till 2020, mankind has had a caricature, a mischaracterization, a distortion. They have distorted who I am. They have twisted who I am because their prideful agenda is to be rid of me. They have justified their agenda by distorting who I am. They may still want to be rid of me before this is all said and done, but they'll have to reckon with the real me, who I really am. I'm going to vindicate who I actually am. I'm going to restore my good name. In other words, I'm going to clear my reputation and the church is going to be my resume. I want my son, Psalm 2, to rule the world. The church is going to be the resume of my worth to rule as a kind, tender king. And they're going to be my handiwork. They're going to be my trophy of grace. I'm going to prevent, present the church to the world as the proof of my worth as the rightful possessor and ruler of this planet. And I'm going to clear my name. They, every knee will bow every time can confess. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because they will see who I really am, not how they justified, dismissed, and distorted to excuse their rage and rebellion against me. Whatever they choose, and they'll get to choose, they're going to have to choose knowing who I really am. They're not going to get to lie about me anymore. And so we have to know the future isn't about our glorious, you know, whatever. It's about we're going to get the privilege together of putting the authentic Jesus on display to the earth. We're going to say with boldness, no false humility, this is who Jesus really is and what he's really like. And then the world chooses, which family am I going to be a part of? Am I going to be part of the family of Adam that has seemingly the power, the, the wealth, the, the politics, the you know, whatever, the opportunities? It's wicked. It's brutal. It's lots of betrayal. It's lots of love growing cold. You never know who's on your side and who's not. I mean, think about the progressive world right now, how quickly they turn on one another. There's this idea of justice and family, but you say the wrong thing, and boom, you are out. It's just, that's a sneak preview of where the earth is going. There's lots of benefits to be a part of the progressive narrative. You get to be famous. You get to, you get to have lots of people like you. You get to have lots of networking and connections that work. Your economics will work if you stay with that progressive narrative, but you're always on a razor's edge of losing everything because it's 
totalitarian and self it's self-preserving selfish at the end of the day it's brutal and so the so that's where one part of the earth is going and the church is going to provide for the earth this glorious alternative of authentic love fueled by the holy spirit from jesus we're going to display it for the world so it will be like the days of noah that other group will hate us but many will be in the balance that's the key to understand the days that are coming many will be in the balance one group is real clear on where they want to be the church will be real clear on where they want to be and in between there's this group in the balance are they going to choose this family or this family and and i believe a billion and maybe more will choose the family of god in revival with repentance and tears but uh but they will be with us for eternity on to the age to come and what's being born and so there's a lot more to say but that's a good framework to start and i can go from there if you want but i went long yeah um no it's really good and you alluded to the the conflict that will happen between the world and the church and the church will be confronted to to deny jesus to walk away from that and um i think a lot a lot of people's fear comes from that confrontation and what then will happen but we've kind of alluded to our perspective and how we can stand strong in that already um you talk about the days of noah and you know noah was told to prepare and he had to prepare ahead of time um he didn't just wait for the first drop of rain and then quickly put together a canoe and tell the family to jump in <laughs> and save a couple cats so he had to prepare ahead of time but there are some people that say yeah we need to start preparing we need to start getting ready then you've got people that say no i'm just going to trust jesus he will figure this all out for us i'm not going to worry about it um yeah and that sort of makes it sound like the people preparing aren't trusting jesus but but how do we hold that do we do we need to prepare um or can we just trust jesus and you know he'll figure this out for us we can trust jesus to do his part for sure and jesus in the scriptures is very clear about his part so when it comes to what jesus is going to do what he said he would do you know get the joel 2 the outpouring of the holy spirit globally in which there's going to be this global activation of the church in prophecy, dreams, visions, the signs and wonders. There's going to be a global outpouring and a global activation. Jesus is going to do that. Can we trust him to do that? Absolutely. But Matthew 25, Jesus Matthew 24 and 25 at the end of 24, Jesus gives three parables and he goes, "Here's your part. If you can trust me to do my part, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do." When he comes back in Revelation 19, what's written on his thigh is the word faithful and true. That's his name. He goes, my name is faithful and true. Trust me to do my part? He goes, oh, yes. I will absolutely do my part. So, yeah, absolutely trust me. Mm -hmm. But you, you prepare in trust. You engage in the things that Jesus put before us with trust. What's Because trust isn't sit back and watch. Trust is if I do what Jesus told me to do now, to prepare for where things are going then, I can trust that it will matter. I can trust that there's dignity and there's it's real. It doesn't feel real now. So it's easy to dismiss end time sensationalism. It's easy to go, ah, tomorrow's gonna be like today. It's easy. It's hard to begin to believe the word, engage our hearts, prepare our lives and our families spiritually it's hard at times. We feel like, is this real? I don't know. Trust is about, no, if I do this, 
if I prepare families, friendships, because that is the key, by the way, the thing people are afraid of, the falling away and a compromise, we're only afraid of it because we're these individual lonely people without strong friendships. When you have strong friendships, I mean, that are built on prayer lives and depth of the word and, and encouraging one another on into being fiery for Jesus, it, it actually, over time, you'll find it becomes unthinkable that somebody in that friend network would fall away, would compromise. Or if they do compromise, it's unthinkable that they would be lost. It's like, no, now you got four, five, six, seven friends where if you go funny for a month, we're coming after you. Like we're not leaving you alone. That we need those kinds of fat where our lives are fastened to one another, where it's unthinkable that we would unfasten because life gets hard. And so you don't have to be afraid if you've got those kinds of friendships, but those kinds of friendships come through urgency and preparation. We take it seriously together. We see what's unfolding together. We respond to Jesus together. That's preparation. And we do that trusting that as we make these decisions in our friendships, in our families, in our kids, as we make these decisions with our finances, we are trusting that there's a payoff. It's like, okay, I'm going to do my little part, but the payoff is you're going to do your part and that we're going to meet. <laughs> like there's going to be a moment where the years of labor on my end and the patience to wait for you to do your part on the other end, it's going to come together. And then suddenly, Matthew 25, where there's an explosion of glory across the earth, because I've prepared and done my part all these years, I can my life can explode into engagement, not confusion and uncertainty where I miss the parade as it goes by. That there's there's the second coming is ahead of us, but there's a lot just before the second coming that the Lord goes, No, I want you right in the middle of all of that. It, it's um, you know, I'll give you a a little story. I won't get the details exactly right, but uh, but we've been talking about you know this pastor in, in uh, Lebanon that uh, overnight with all the instability there, his church goes from like thirty to five thousand overnight because the you know the whole nation falls apart. The the infrastructure, the education, the grocery stores, the food supply, food chains, you know the things that we take for granted in a Western context, all of it falls apart overnight lawlessness is everywhere. The police are insufficient. The, the food chains are insufficient. The delivery supply chains, all of it falls apart. So that when we, when we think of the future, we think of that. Like, oh no, that's going to happen. The world as we know it is going to unravel. Yeah. But here's the other side. His church in the midst of that storm goes from 30 to 5,000 overnight. He can't baptize people fast enough. People are getting saved faster than he can keep up with. And then the other thing, pastors that used to be against him, pastors that used to be against the gifts of the Spirit are seeing miracles, signs, wonders, dreams, prophecy, activity of the Holy Spirit beyond anything they could have imagined. They can't keep up with the pace of the Holy Spirit's activity and the pace of the salvations in the midst of lawlessness and hardship and trouble and poverty and difficulty. And so... In that moment, we don't prepare. What ends up happening is the world unravels and we're mostly focused on what we lost and wishing we could have our air conditioning back and wishing we could have our bank accounts back and mostly frustrated and mad at God and frustrated at the church. Why won't people help me? 
And the Lord goes, no, in those moments when the world changes overnight, I want you ready to spring into action. I want you to be ready to spring into engagement where you're not surprised by it all, but your heart's at rest and you can say yes and you can begin baptizing with easy evangelism. And it's going to be some of our hardest days are going to be some of our greatest days, but they're only our greatest days to the measure that we now engage in the friendships and the, and the depth and the prayer lives and the life in the word that holds up under that kind of pressure. That's the key. Yeah. Yes, we can trust Jesus to do his part, but will our lives bear the weight of the hour that's coming? That's why we want to understand these things. Mm. You know, that I think people listening will be in various places. There are those that this is all quite new. You know, but they want to know. This is why we want to be the people of Issachar. We don't just want to know the signs, but we also need to know what to do and carry those things together. But then there will be people like me who have known about end times a lifetime. And, and I would just want to throw a caution out to people like me. Because in Daniel, Daniel was told, seal up this book until the time of the end. And I think there has to be a strong caution on people that have grown up knowing about the return, knowing eschatology, to almost press pause on what we know and be ready for that fresh revelation. I know that, okay, I've known Jesus is coming back, but so much of what I grew up knowing has changed. <clears throat> and I often say to people, if you see somebody who hasn't changed anything about what they think about the return of the Lord in even the last five or six years, be careful. Because fresh revelation is being given and will be given as the time goes on. And so there are those that know nothing. There are those that have perhaps known for years and years. And I throw that caution out. Be prepared for fresh revelation. Don't hold on to what you've already known. And, there are, and then there are those that have just come on the journey and they're already interested and they join with us on that fresh revelation. So I just wanted to throw that caution out to those who think, yes. hey, we've had a lifetime of this, we know all about it, because the truth is we don't. We don't. There is a whole load that God, in the, by his Holy Spirit, is unrevealing unre uh, now, is going to reveal, and is going to continue to reveal. And woe are us if we think we know it all, if we've got degrees in it, if we've been to college and university. <laughs> Just be careful, because we don't know it all. What are you saying, college degrees... Doctorates don't tell you everything about what's going to happen. Is no, because God told Daniel to seal it up till the time of the end. And I'm excited to see what he is going to continue to reveal as we go on. Well, the, the pressure as it increases, you guys have such a fun front row seat because because we're going to need each other. The, yes. The, every, what you're saying, everyone brings a piece. Everyone yeah. does. Yeah. And my piece isn't more important than somebody else's piece. It's just my little piece. And the way the Holy Spirit set it up, humility is integral to love and family. Humility is the acknowledgement of our mutual need for one another related to, I need who you are. So humility makes me stop and not just advertise me. Humility makes me stop and understand you. 
What is it that the Holy Spirit deposited in you that I don't go forward into the future without? And of course, humility works the opposite. Humility says, and then what has the Lord given me that that I need to not have false humility? I need to contribute. I need to, to play my part as well. And so preparation has a general sense to it that we all do the same things in terms of spiritual preparation related to prayer, related to the word, related to the family and loving one another well and growing love, removing offense, clearing the decks, getting our relationship strong. Those are important dynamics of spiritual preparation that are general for all believers. Mm. However, at the same time, the Lord is giving specific grace, specific assignments. There are specific contributions that we are all to make. And, and, and it's unto Daniel eleven thirty three. The people of understanding will instruct many. But that understanding, I love the phrase in Ephesians, it's the manifold wisdom of God. It, or the many faceted, you know, expressions of his wisdom. The people of understanding are the ones in Daniel 11 that the, that are connected to the Ephesians' glory, Ephesians 4, the, this manifold wisdom, this multifaceted wisdom of God that he deposits, 1 Corinthians 12, across the spectrum of the body, and the, the people of understanding with the manifold wisdom are the ones that have done this, that have crossed the denominational and, and cultural and, and nationalistic boundaries to give the deposit and to receive a deposit. And then as we do that, we inch our way forward together. It feels so small. It feels so simple. It doesn't feel like we're gaining much ground. But in the hour of Joel 2, when that global outpouring, when suddenly, boom, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit begins, and the Lord is going to clarify the two families and call the nations to repentance in preparation for his return and, and ultimate judgment. Because it's repentance or removal. And the Lord, as you said with Noah's Ark, 120 years, gives time for repentance before removal. He really, that rainbow covenant of Noah that we see again in Revelation 10, he really wants to find a way where there seems to be a, no way to have mercy on peoples. He wants to find a way to not comprehensively judge the earth as in the flood again. He wants to find a way to win the hearts of the people. But there are men that are wicked and unreasonable. They will not be one. And so in that day, there is the removal, but, but again, the, the glory of it, that we're going to come together and grow together and then many will be instructed in the days to come together mm. as we prepare for that great harvest before the end. So those are some key, we've kind of given some key touchstones in this overview of things that we can see in the big picture that are coming. There's many others, but those are a good start. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good start and a great place to, to wrap. Um, we we really appreciate you, David, taking the time to to be with us again. Uh, we'll give you a couple of weeks off, and then I'll. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we we appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we we definitely do look forward to, to the next one. But I'll give you I'll give you a bit of a break. <laughs> yeah, thank you, David. Thank you so much. And we'd like to say we need you. Yeah, and vice versa. Yeah. And I love it. The Holy Spirit wouldn't have it any other way, and neither would I. I yeah. love it. And I hope that for all those listening in their groups that you can look around your groups as you're meeting 
and mm. recognize that each one of you needs each one of you and that you're in this together to hold each other steady and we're thankful for each one of you as well so yeah. thank you yeah thank you david thank you thank you thank you for listening to this episode if it inspired you please rate us and subscribe on apple or google podcasts spotify or another podcast platform